Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and we have a new episode of the Your Life, Your Term show for you. This episode, I'm going to date it just because so much is happening in the world right now. Every Just so everyone knows when we recorded this, we recorded this on Monday, March 30th. So if we're talking about anything in the real estate world, you know when this is being recorded. So before we begin, let me just say, we hope everybody is you know safe and healthy and your family's healthy and everybody is taken care of and everything you need taken care of is taken care of. We just want to send out the, our best wishes to everyone listening out there. Um, crazy time. I mean, we could have all perhaps expected something to happen in the economy. And we've talked about that a lot over the years, but to think the thing that would affect the economy the way it has, has been a health related pandemic that would sweep the world the way it has is just um, crazy to think about. So um, yeah, I just want to send best wishes out to everybody and uh, we'll get on with this show and hopefully offer some value. So on this episode, we talked a lot about real estate and just what we're seeing on the streets. Some of the thoughts we're having around real estate is now a good time to buy your next income property. Some of our thoughts around that, we talk about Wayne Gretzky rookie cards and use that as an example to think about real estate and different things that are on our mind. Nick shares some different data around family formations and housing supply in Ontario. So we share some of that stuff. stuff. So it's a bit of a meandering talk, of all things real estate related, almost like a stream of consciousness discussion between Nick and myself or just like anything that comes to mind. We'll likely do other episodes like this that get into other details, different things going on with the landlord tenant board, different things going on with mortgages, um, legal changes that might be happening perhaps. And not that we're hearing anything, but just, you know, different updates. Right now, the legal side of things is uh, on the real estate front is happening as it should. Real, uh, real estate lawyers are able to close business, title is able to change and that um, that whole bit. But if it changes in any regard, we'll share that kind of stuff. So in this first discussion around real estate during this time, it is a meandering talk of all things that come to mind around real estate, some of the questions that we've been asked. So hopefully you find value around that. I think we go for almost an hour, then we decided to stop at that point. And throughout this week, we'll see if we get a chance to release other information. Part of the reason it's taken us a little bit to get another podcast out is because when this all started going a little crazy, I guess a couple of weeks ago now, um, you know, our first commitment was just to the team here at Rockstar. So we had to get a lot of communication going out between ourselves and the team here at Rockstar and making sure all of that was operating. And then after that, it was, or almost in tandem, I should say, with that, it was communication going out to Rockstar Inner Circle members. So we got, we have already put out a couple um, webinars for uh, Rockstar Inner Circle members, and we have that planned for them on a weekly basis on different information. Actually, we're bringing on a, a paralegal onto the phone this week for this week's virtual training class just to share all the stuff that we're seeing around the Tenant Act and the Tenant Board and what's going on there. So that has been our commitment naturally. So to the Rockstar team and Rockstar Inner Circle members, and now we're finally getting up to a rhythm again where we can start putting out some of our content like this podcast. So thanks for being patient with us. And uh, if you have any suggestions on anything you want to hear, reach out to us and share your ideas. You can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Tom Caradza. And uh, I don't Nick, know Nick's off the top of my head. I think it's at N Caradza. If you, if you Google up Nick Caradza Twitter, you'll find his Twitter handle. Um, you can comment out to us like that. You can send it to the office. You can email podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook with any suggestions. So anything you want to hear about, feel free to send it in. We'll do our best to cover it on these podcasts. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? 
Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, well, the world's changed, but we should start with uh, the same stuff. So just checking, Nick, can you hear me? Are you there? I, still, I Are can you? still hear you loud and clear. You can, okay, <laughs> good. Good. So, uh, hey, everyone, you know, a lot has been happening over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we hope everyone listening out there is obviously safe and healthy and everyone is taking care of their families and doing the best you possibly can and taking care of your your mindset and the whole insane bit. yeah i think more people i think that soon we're gonna have to start talking about people's sanity over over time because the more people i speak with they're kind of saying like yeah at first you know this uh shutting things down for a while or staying at home was well it wasn't too bad but now slowly the, the starting to kind of get a little bit antsy what is it ca- is I, that cabin fever right is yeah. that what it's called I think our family's catching their uh, getting catching their wind. Is that the right phrase? Catching their getting their wind? Catching, getting, getting used to getting it. their second wind. Yeah, getting used to it because on the weekend we're all sleeping in and then waking up and pancake breakfast and bacon and eggs and we're having these big brunches and stuff. So uh, trying to make the best of a crazy situation and we're going for a walk. The crazy thing is going for walks in the neighborhood, just seeing how many people are out for walks and then how good everybody's being being a keep keeping the you know the social physical distance apart. Like when you're approaching someone on the sidewalk somebody will just hit the street and the other person's on the sidewalk like i'm amazed canadians we are just polite people let's face it i had a guy this was this wasn't even recent this was i guess right when it started so it wasn't kind of like almost the norm yet or maybe it was the first time it happened to me i was walking down the street and the guy actually crossed the street and then i looked back after he passed me and he crossed back behind me i was like holy crap i I wasn't expecting i was gonna walk right past there i didn't think about it i was like i don't know i'll I'll take like a step over and kind of you know, stay away from the guy. Yeah, no, right? we've I'm been taking gonna... the full like three. I, what is it? I don't even know. Six feet, two. Yeah, one this meter was before that was kind of all. Yeah. This was kind of right when it was established. So that the, you know, the signs about the two meters, six point three feet or five point nine, whatever, how many feet is uh, not none of that was established. So I was like, yeah, I'll just stick to my side. You stick to your side. Maybe I'll go on the grass a little bit. But yeah, we were doing that like two weeks ago. Now it's like full on. Like we're far away, but. The, the just the social impact of this is crazy. I was I was talking to Mike on our team, and. Uh, I was just saying that somebody, I was speaking to a gentleman, Nick, you know who I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, and his hat blew off. And normally I would go and chase the hat down. You know, we were far away from each other. He was on the sidewalk. I was kind of like on my front lawn talking to each other. His hat blew off. And normally I would just run and grab his hat. And I took two steps and then I froze because I'm like, I don't think he maybe wants me to touch his hat right now. And then he had to go run and get his hat. I'm like, this is just a different world. Well, I left, I was leaving a store, so I had to go get food and I was holding, I was leaving uh, and I was with Ella, right? And I, and I held the, I was holding the door because there was a lady coming and I was kind of holding the door for her. I was like, oh, I go, I guess I won't hold the door for you. I'm going, I'm sorry. So I just let the door slam. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be rude, but I don't know if I should be holding the door for, you know what I mean? But because I'm not used to doing that. So I literally like, she was approaching and. I, I just, instead, I walked out, I saw her and then I just let the door, I was like, yeah, I just walked away. I let the door, and I, I, I mean, she knew that I was, you know, I was yeah, being a jerk, got it. but I felt like I was a jerk. I'm like, that's what people, that's what some, that's what the jerks do, <laughs> you know? So the door just slammed right in front of her. I'm like, wow, that is a real jerky move. But anyways, but um, yeah, it's a new, it, 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 it's interesting. I've, I've told you this, I'm, I'm interested to see how they change, change the narrative, uh, you know, later on, right? Because at one point in time, they're going to have to change the narrative to try to build confidence in people again to go out and do stuff. 
and it's well, that'll going be the health whoever I forget her name, but the health minister. Of it's Canada. just I'm all I'm always interested in the messaging and the angles they take because it's going to be interesting because they're going to have to kind of like revert some of the stuff that they've been saying. They kind of have to are going to have to pull back on it a little bit because I don't the number's not going to go to zero. Like the number's yeah. not going to go to zero globally, and everyone's like, okay, it's at zero, we can now go out, right? That's a good point. But I think is once the trend starts going down, then so they, when they can like, say, yeah. you know, today we've had less new yeah. kind of cases than yesterday. Yeah. And as that goes on for a week, and if there's a trend, then I think, because I, I, I don't think it's going to be like turn on and everybody runs out of their houses again. I think it's going to be like kind of people coming out of hibernation in stages when we come out. No, I, no, it makes sense. I'm just, I'm curious to see how it goes, yeah. right? Because they locked everything down when there was whatever, 300 cases. So are they opening everything up when there's 600, but it's still going down? Or is it 2,000, but the trend's kind of down, but there's 2,000, so it's okay. But at 600, we had to lock everything down. So I'm not saying what, I'm not saying what they're doing is right or wrong. I'm just interested to see how, from the messaging angle, how they're going to proceed mm-hmm. with and how it's taken. Mm-hmm. It's my own little social kind of observation experiment for my own pleasure. I'm bored these I'm, days. I need stuff. Yeah, and I find you know, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what I did the other day. Some one of my one of my good friends was sending me a message, and he's like, he was telling me about some videos he was watching or whatever. I forget something we were going back and forth on, and I told him that. On Saturday night, I was on the U.S. Congressional Budget Office's website reading their reports on the economy and swearing at the screen because I was disagreeing with some of their forecasts because these were some reports that were put out in the fall, which is actually good data on the economy and size of the debt in the U.S. And I was just reading this stuff and I I thought it was just off then. But now with the amount of stimulus that's being put into the economy, they're way off. So that's how I spent my Saturday night. I, as a Canadian, I spent my Saturday night reading the U.S. Congressional Budget Office reports, report by report, and I started swearing at the screen at some point. But uh, anyway, I enjoyed it. That was a great Saturday night for me. Well, it is crazy, the, the amount of stimulus. And I think we're going to get into it anyways, and we can now. But the, 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 the amount of stimulus is, it's, you know, and, and we never spoke about a virus, you know, causing this. But I mean... To be, no, well, to we, be clear, we didn't know what would, there's no, a bubble formed yeah, in the economy. That was just the You pin. don't know what the pin's going to yeah, be. Something, yeah. it was going to be, if it wasn't this, it was going to be something else. This right? is probably the most horrible of yeah. all pins I could possibly yeah. imagine. Yeah, that would cause it to happen as quickly as it has and that yeah. type of thing, right? Because you're shutting down the basically global economy has just been, not ground to a complete halt, but grinded. Yeah, I always thought the slow. pin to the economy to start the next layer of stimulus would be something like a big bank in Europe going mm-hmm. bankrupt or something. Like I just thought it was that Some kind of thing. Take, contagion somewhere yeah and it's and it's easier it's easier when it's a corporate entity that you can kind of paint as big bad and evil even if they're not you could kind of paint them as that and then the you know the the story unfolds from there i never thought it was going to be like a health related global pandemic that circles the world right so you know geez anyway But, but um but the response to the economic slowdown has been the same and i think it would have been the same otherwise and it's just monstrous amounts of new spend. I mean, look, we're recording this when the Canadian government just came out with another announcement. We should probably date this. On- yeah, but we're recording, and, and they don't even know how they're going to pay for it. They're like, oh, we just announced, you know, um, it was the payroll subsidy, and we'll figure, we're going to announce how we're going to pay for it tomorrow. So they haven't even figured out those details yet. And I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's bad. I mean, you know, I'm not judging any, any kind of political response to this, you know, that yet. <laughs> but, but I mean... It's obvious they don't know how. They're well, they don't have the money. It's not like yeah. the money saved up. No, in some I know. Bank so account. they got to figure out how they're going to save. But but I mean, there's only one one way they're going to they're going to pay for it. It's going to create yeah. some more money. Some better, bigger annual uh, deficits yeah. and more debt. Um, 
It is Monday, March 30th that we're recording this. Just I'm dating this because stuff's changing day by day. Oh, yeah, that's we, don't even, we don't even really yeah. know what's happening tomorrow. One thing we do know is that Wednesday afternoon, the Law Society is having a big call with different lawyers. So we're interested to see what they announce Um who knows what's happening in the law society? Because so far, um, if you're listening to this, you should know from a legal aspect, TerraNet and Land Title have been ma- being able to operate. So closings that have been in place have been closing. The banks have been operating. Our contacts at multiple banks and in the mortgage broker network, everyone's kind of set up at home um, and banks are kind of fully functioning. It's kind of weird. There's just, you know, there was like a kerfuffle for a couple of days there. And um, the things are kind of fully functioning, which is is you know we're, we're fortunate to have that in in Canada and a lot of other countries have it too, but some don't. You know, to be clear, but because you know, there's a lot of people that have a housing need. Like we don't know what situation their personal situations are in. Maybe they're depending on that for their family. It's not like they're selling their house to like bank cash or something. These are like, you know, these, these transactions need to happen. Like people need shelter. Well, just our own team here at Rockstar on Saturdays, we were all pretty much amazed because there was a vacant rental property out in St. Catharines and the person on our team had 10 showings booked, not knowing if anyone was going to show up. Nine out of the 10 showed up. He had them all spaced up outside so that they were all um, kind of safe distance apart. And then they did individual viewings through the house. He left the application there. They took the viewing and then submitted it to him electronically afterwards. So it wasn't much interaction at all. And everyone appreciated that, um, that he had set it up like that. And uh, I, I'm just kind of in shock, but it goes to the point that shelter is ultimately a need. And if you need a place for your family to live, sometimes you're going to go out whether it's the best time to go out and look for properties or not. Right. Yeah. And the resale market's the same thing. People are still looking to purchase homes in different segments of the market, like the higher end markets, you know, like most situations like this kind of ground to a halt, but a lot of starter home category, there's still people looking for homes because they need they, they need or want a place to live maybe they couldn't get one before and you know i'm not saying it's nearly as active as it was or anything but i'm just saying that the, the need exists still so well i mean there. we're my own you know my kind of family's in that situation right now with my mother-in-law who's looking to move into an old age home she was supposed to move in we were supposed to list her property right as this was happening so we've decided to hold off but there might be a situation where in a month or two months we might have to list her property um And that's a case of like, sometimes you just need to do things. So things kind of move on sometimes, even in crazy situations, right? So, uh, and and then I think that's kind of leads us to um, one of the number one questions we've had over the last, Nick, I was going to say like week, but the last week has felt like a month. It's been long. It's been long. It has been long. Um, But uh, one of the number one questions that we've had is, uh, Nick, I'm going to let you answer this question, is now... This is this is a good question. Is now still the right time to buy income property? This is a fully loaded question for you. No kidding. Right? I mean, that's like that's the, the you know. So do, the short answer is maybe. Yeah. Done. Think, Next question. Uh, Let's. I think it on. goes back to our cold cash and your kind of personal situation and. Yeah, it just depends on what you're what you're trying to do. I mean, I don't think right now is is you know if if the question's coming from a. a the place where it's like, you know, is now the great time to get this great deal because there's going to be no demand for these properties and the prices are going to come down. I'm going to, I'm going to scoop up an income property for, for a steal. Um, and I'm not saying that's where the, the, the question is coming from, but I know some people have asked that question to me specifically from that point of view. And 
the answer is like we're not seeing that and based on some numbers from you know past times during things like this that could be a relatively short-term mm -hmm. kind of interruption to the regular real estate activities that you know it's not likely for that to happen right because because what's happening what we typically see um or what we've seen so like we've, we've never seen something like this right but we did look back on some numbers from um, the SARS epidemic that hit Toronto, right? It hit Toronto more than other areas. And what was interesting about that, which, and I want to be clear, I am not saying that the SARS instance was the same as as what's going on now, but it, it, it was along the same lines, just at a much smaller scale. But what was interesting is that the volume of real estate transactions during that time actually was hit pretty hard. However, the price the prices remained relatively stable and then the volume jumped. As, as soon as the SARS thing was over, the volume jumped and it was up if I remember correctly, it was up 65% year over year from the, the year before. So in, in, in that month in, in July, after the, the SARS epidemic ended. And that's like this monstrous year over year jump, right? Now, it, it went back down to about 30% in August, and then maybe 10 or 15% ongoing or 20% after that. So, But it was just this pent up demand because it was a relatively short term thing. So based on what we've seen when it comes to supply and demand from the beginning part of this year, and the current state of the markets, the local markets here, you know, my answer would be like, yeah, if there's an opportunity in front of you that you can, you know, you're interested in pursuing, then yeah, I think it still makes time. And I'm not getting into the cash, cash flow credit part. That's like a whole other section, a separate thing that we'll get to. But if we're just talking about where that specific market is from everything we're seeing on the streets, that that demand still kind of exists and everything we've seen in, 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 in kind of, past periods of time that's how that played out now if this thing went for 12 months 18 months even six eight months like that's a lot different than if this thing goes for three four months right so um so but that's kind of how we look at it from that point of view and then the, the separate point of view is just you know what kind of you know what kind of assets do you want like if, if you're not going to buy this but you're looking to invest somewhere in some sort of asset then you just got to ask yourself, what other asset do you want? And is that other asset going to produce the income for you long term? Is it going to, what's it going to give you long term? And then make the decision. You know what I mean? And, and I know you're going to dive into that, I'm sure, because anytime this comes up, you're going to want to jump into it. But but that's, you know, that's kind of the short answer to that that type of thing. Are you trying to say I talk too much? No, but I'm just giving you an opportunity to talk. I'm trying to be nice. As a younger brother, I'm trying to, you know, be nice to my older brother. You're getting old, man. I got to kind of. I know, I know my next, yeah, I don't want to talk about my next big birthday, but, um, <laughs> but th there's a point that you're hitting on there that I always like when you share about just straight up supply demand data. When you look at kind of, you've always done a good job of sharing the family formation data and the family formation data over the last 10 years in Toronto versus the supply of new housing in Toronto. Um, the way you broke it down last week, the way we were looking at it is that there's about a two and a half year um, demand in the system for housing because of the amount of family formations that have happened over the last 10 years versus the amount of new housing that has been available over the last 10 years leaves just this whopping two and a half years worth of demand. So if we think demand is suddenly going to vanish, it'll be interesting to see because the data that we're looking at likely suggests it's not going to vanish. We don't have the crystal ball, but when you just look up at straight up family formations versus housing supply, it looks like there's going to be some demand in yeah. the system. Yeah. What was interesting about that? So you're right. So when we took those 10 year numbers and divided it by the average size of the Canadian household in the GTA area, that the, the household growth was um, 
far it outstripped that you know the, it was four hundred sixty thousand. The ten year average housing starts in that area was about thirty six, you know, mid thirty thousand dollars, thirty thousand range. It left basically a shortage of units if you took those two numbers. So the ten year household growth, and you minus the you got the average number for housing starts in the GTA, and you got that ten year number, and you subtracted them. It left a shortage of ninety three thousand units. And which, if you took that and you divided it by the average, the 10-year average housing starts in the area is two and a half years worth of supply. So over the last 10 years, demand has outstripped supply by two and a half years of, of building. So if just to kind of catch up to a balance, let's say call it, you know, quote unquote, balanced market conditions, we could build at the same rate we've been building for two and a half years and get back to that. Now, that doesn't take into account incomes and employment and all this other stuff right but but if you you know all other things being equal we're two and a half years behind it just in the last 10 years and i think some of those population growth numbers like we've discussed before those are probably a little bit understated like yeah, yeah right so yeah. so i think they might even be more than a little bit understated yeah, because so, of non uh non-permanent residents in canada totally but, yeah that's what i'm talking yeah, about yeah. and and then so the you know and this was 10 years so some of the some of these numbers are factual because we do have the latest numbers outside of the non-permanent mm-hmm. residents because those aren't included but what's really interesting about this is when i was talking to someone who is a builder about these numbers he's like man that's he was he's like well I, i've never looked at that um like that he goes that was great like thanks for the breakdown and um but and what he said, he goes, you know what else you should know? Even during this time, if if let's say immigration slows now because there's not as many, you know, there's not as even the window for immigrants to come now, you know, in the short term. So the immigration numbers these years are, are are shorter. He goes, what you should know is right now on the supply side, it's going to be much harder to complete these projects. So we're seeing all sorts of slowdowns already. So like projects that were supposed to be completed maybe end of year or next year or in two years, the slowdowns that are coming now because of either shutdowns or labor shortages or supply shortages because of because of the supply chain, all these things. He goes, these other projects we're getting are already getting notice and all these other projects that are going to be delayed because of this. So on the supply, even if the demand side weakens a little bit because of, let's say, population growth, or whatever, on the supply side, he's like, look, I don't know the numbers yet because it's just too early to tell but he goes i can tell you the supply slide side is going to weaken because the timelines of when these new units were supposed to come on the market will not be met across the board like clearly he was like definitive about it he's like there's no question about it it's gonna be fa- i mean there's so many factors to this just around lending with the banks and then human psychology like there's just so much to this and obviously caveats around what we're talking about with supply and demand around higher end housing like you alluded to earlier mm-hmm. some of the price points are just naturally going to have less demand because less people in general can play in those markets we think so and then i think i mean i, I don't know i think maybe you said that i don't know one of us or, or we read it someplace but years ago was it there was a realization that seemed to make sense and seems to hold true based on Anytime there's these economic hiccups that we've kind of monitored. And what seems to happen is at the higher end of the markets, not the super high end, because the super high end, even when there's an economic kind of downturn like this, they're really not impacted. Like they're they're quite wealthy and these downturns are like, wow, that kind of sucks. But you know what? I'm still going to go ahead with this because I got lots of lots of money lying around, right? The um, But then the kind of what you consider like the maybe regular high end, but not the starter home, but maybe the move up, the, the next level single or, do, or two, one or two levels above the starter home. That higher end market gets impacted because those are the people that do have assets and they do have, let's say, a bunch of money in the stock markets, maybe or other assets. And when those market, if the stock market downturns and those assets get hit, 
they kind of put their hands in their pocket and freeze often because they're like, well, hold on, I'm going to hold on to any plans I was going to make because that actually impacted me. And yes, I have money available. I'm not worried about feeding my family, but to make these big moves in this, into this kind of area or move into another higher end home or whatever the case may be to invest in a 5,000 or 6,000 square foot home on the waterfront versus the 4,000 square foot home on a cul-de-sac that I live on now. Like I don't, maybe I don't really need that. They, um, that market gets kind of impacted and it seems regularly that's where the first market that we've seen kind of slow regularly. Right. But like the oil sheiks in flipping Abu Dhabi or wherever. Yeah, I don't D- think different they're, level of yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think they're worried. They're, they're going to be okay. Um, and it, this whole experience is making me have kind of flashbacks to 1990, just seeing if I can recall any memories that we haven't shared so far. And one of the memories I can remember in 1990, and if you're not familiar with 1990, that was the biggest and worst real estate correction this country has ever seen in its history, still to this day to, to today. I was 12. And, I don't and, remember that well. Yeah. I do remember it though. I do remember I it a little it just, bit because you know, of what it did to our family. Yeah, so but, I would have been 17 yeah. and I guess just those are formative years and like I just remember something I don't think I've shared before is I do remember something from that time frame that right before so this I guess would be around 89 right before 90 kind of is that the home sales that were happening you know how sales offices are now big and pretty and that kind of stuff um they were back then they were like construction trailers like the sales office was like a single thin construction trailer. And I remember this one area um, that we went uh, went to, and I guess it was our father who was looking at these properties. And when we came out of it, there was people in the parking lot. And I and I can't remember, like at that age, I, didn't, I don't have all the recollections, but I just remember that people were trading paper. And what I mean by that is doing assignments in mass. So like if someone was like, quote unquote, lucky enough to get a new build from one of these builders, the real estate market was going up so fast and furious. People were assigning paper. Like, you know how now in the condo market, sometimes people do assignments because, you know, the condo project took a couple years to develop and someone bought it two years ago, but now they can't close on it for whatever reason. So they assign the deal. And there is definitely an assignment kind of uh, market out there right now. Well, that back at that time, I actually remember people talking about assigning paper, you know, and buying, quote unquote, buying paper, meaning that someone else had bought it originally, and then they were buying it from that person. And sometimes they weren't hoping to close. They were hoping to sell that paper again. And a lot of the assignment rules that are in place today in this country, I strongly believe they came from that era and the changes that were made then not allowing people to kind of flip paper like that right? Because it just got out of control. So I don't have any documented stuff around this. I just remember those conversations and it's not something I think I've shared before. So that was something that was kind of different during that time. And then just seeing, you know, the interest rate move is really what crushed the market back then. It was like that monster real estate increase at the time. It was like a 2.9% increase in 30 days, which I'll never forget, which ultimately crushed the luxury real estate market, which our family was in the middle of flipping our luxury real estate property. Right. And, uh, so that era was kind of, was kind of crazy, but I do want to share this one little line that I found a 2.9% increase in 30 days. Yeah. 2.9% in 30 days of the purchase price of the home. No, 2.9% interest rate increase Interest rate increase. Sorry. in okay. 30 days. I was, I was, I think I was thinking about some numbers that I was no, looking at and I'm like, no. that doesn't seem, yeah. Okay, no, it okay, was, yeah. Bank of Canada raised My, rates yeah. and then the banks then raised rates. Yeah. yeah. And then the, yeah, that's a, huge. That's what, huge. Could you imagine today? Rates the, went so let me just round up to 3%. Six? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, because if rates went today from, well, today I know there's an economic downturn, but even, I mean, take it six months ago. It's and not it went possible. From 3% to 6%. Do you Destruction. Know what that would do? Yeah. Mathematically, it would just take out Wall Street and Bay Street and every, every not, country. Well, yeah, I didn't even think about that. I'm just thinking, so, I'm just thinking about, like, I'm just thinking about the regular kind of, uh, you know, what is the, the, the main street, oh, the like, yeah. average Joe type person. Oh, gosh. Like, yeah, yeah, what yeah. it would do to lines of credit, yeah. mortgages. Oh, my it would, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, 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 destruction. Yeah, but then on the other side, on the government side, it would just oh, it would be more destruction. Sharing cost on global <laughs> yeah. debt would just be destruction. But uh, just something on this note, and it's a little tiny bit of a tangent, but maybe not, is that there's this cool little Harvard biz, Harvard study, um, Joint Center for Housing Studies of Harvard University. The study is called Rental Market Stresses, Impacts of the Great Recession on Affordability and Multifamily Lending. And in this study... Um, there's this one little paragraph that's super interesting. So the study's all about multifamily units during a recession. And there's this one little comment in here that's super interesting. It says, but while the number of single family units in the rental stock has increased. So this is during the era of 2005 to 2011-ish, 2010. And um, so they're looking at the great, quote unquote, great recession, right? So then that started um, in 2007-8-ish. And then went to, yeah, this study ends at 2010. It says, by what, while the number of single family units in the rental stock has increased, the vacancy rate in this market segment has not. Instead, the changing composition of renter households has apparently supported stronger demand for single family units at the expense of larger multifamily properties. I found that kind of fascinating because I always just thought they would find that in an economic recession, like in that era of the US, that the multifamilies would just be kind of full, you know, for people for looking for housing. But in this study, it, it, they said that the, it, the rental demand was strongest in the single family units, which is something we've talked about for a long time. And part of the reason we've talked about it is way back in 1990, going back to where, where our family went through. One of the things that we noticed as a family back then is that while our father was flipping this property and struggling with it because it was a luxury home, the friends that he had that were doing the similar kinds of things in, in what I would call more starter homes were able to get through it. They could sell a property a little bit easier if they had to. Not that things were easy by any means, but they weren't just like stuck with this like luxury home. So I've always looked at this as from like, you don't want the big, big luxury homes at a time like this. If you're trying to rent, you want the starter homes. I never looked at it from the angle of comparing the starter home to the multifamily, right? But it seems like starter, little single family starter homes, whether that's a town home, a semi-detached, a, a home, you know, a proper home. Um, and I guess today it would even be like a good condominium unit kind of thing are still kind of nice properties to own. Yeah. Or, or live in, live if they're renting them. Right. Yeah, so yeah, like, I, yeah, but, yeah. But if you're coming down, I mean, because look, if, even if you have to, in that case, you know, a lot of Americans can no longer afford their home, so they, they have to move out of their house. If you're able to afford a monthly rental of, of, of a home, you would much rather that versus an apartment, right? The, the totally, majority yeah, of people, yeah. Because no, you have a it. yard, and, you know, a lot of people don't want to live in high rises and that type of stuff. So you, you have that. And then the people that live in those types of apartments typically want to kind of go up into that area. Like that segment of the market is always just the most active segment always. of the market. Whether it's transactions like buying and selling or rentals. I want. I say that hesitantly at first because I'm, I'm trying to think of like the multi-unit rentals versus the single family. There's just not enough stats to really know. There's I guess, not. I guess yeah. I was. I'd say rentals compared to obviously compared to any other segment of the market, maybe outside like purpose-built apartment rentals. You know, but the thing is that starter home category is different in different areas. 
right? Because in Toronto, for for example, the starter home isn't a detached home. It's, no. it's a condo, yeah, right? So yeah. that's why you see all those rental condos, right? So it's, but yeah, it, it's when you... It was just an interesting little paragraph to read. I like never, It kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, it, it, it makes logical sense once you read it, but to think about it ahead of time, I, I wouldn't have thought mm. that either. Mm. I agree. And, and there what, was, what I just I just want to say something the because uh, I was thinking about when you were you're talking, talking way more than me right now eh? I know just for the record I know I didn't even drink a coffee maybe that's why I'm, this is know. like the third time we've done our call recently in the last week that you've talked more than me just for the record yeah I don't know lots of good information I've been reading a lot <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that home on uh, the 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 home kind of that that our parents were flipping you were talking about a high end home that they were yeah. doing. And I was thinking the high-end market at that time was, and I know it had jumped up to like 700, came back down to five or 400. Seven, or it was 750 and it fell to 450, to 450. in three months. Yeah. In but that three was months. still considered the high-end home. And before it jumped to 750, it was at 450, like, because it, it, it jumped very quickly as well. Or the year I don't remember the increase. I only Me remember neither. the way down, but yeah, sure. I'm sure it did. But what's interesting is that I just don't know the numbers, but let's say that, let's say the high-end home for that. So that was a, a, a house in Mississauga, Mississauga Road in Eglinton area, yep. which anyone familiar with that area? nice area uh, always was in Mississauga Great area, right? yeah. and um, big homes yeah. you know not the sort of home so let's say it was $500,000 range now those homes I don't even know what the, what they're worth I'm just saying that's yeah, a good point we should look I don't know I stopped looking out yeah. of just scars but it's not a million it's no. a million and a half to two million I would yeah. think if I had to kind of just some of those homes are two million it, range for, for sure, sure yeah. right yeah so probably even more so it might have it's at least doubled it might have actually tripled it's probably, yeah. actually it's probably might no, have sorry, tripled. I lie. Yeah. It's either tripled or quadrupled, right? Doubled it hands it's, it's doubled way more than doubled for sure. Tripled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a triple. We should look this up afterwards. Well, I'm not even saying from 700. I'm saying from 500. Oh, got it. it. Yeah, to, from the previous that price. Was the normal, so you're talking about like in 88, yeah, 89. because that was the normal But those were built. Those were built around 90, so you can't even... Yeah, but maybe they were sold a year yeah. earlier. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I'm, and I'm going from normal... Like, I know there's spikes and drops, right? But I'm just going from the normal trend line of typical price appreciation, where those prices totally. are going. Totally, yeah. Because when you're buying... It, it wasn't the first release he bought from, so they definitely were sold earlier. So yeah. you're onto something here for sure. Yeah, yeah. So 1980s now is 40 years. Oh my God, was that 40 years? Well, yeah. 2020. No. You said 1980. 90. Oh, 1990, 1990. Yeah. I was just looking at my own age. I'm yeah, like, yeah. wait, what a second. How old am I? I was like, oh, I would have been 40 years. What a second. Okay, so hold on. That's even crazier then. Right. Yeah. That's even crazier because it's only 30 years. And you said from your, infla- in your inflation numbers, remember when you mm. would use those calculations and you do what? what, what inflation? 6%. 6% appreciation at number the home prices double in how often? every 12 years every 12 years and we're 30 years in and so it's if tripled. it's too, yeah might actually be more right yeah. depending on what the starting point is mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah it's it's at 6% every home price doubles every 12 years yeah that's on an on average. You can poke all kinds of holes and shit, sure, but it yeah, has to be six yeah. percent no, consistently compounded. I just never thought about it like that. Is actually, anyways. So something, that was a little tangent there. It's, and something I, I kind of wanted to address because it, you know we've been getting a number of questions from people saying, "Hey guys, like you know Nick, to your the earlier question that we've been talking about is like, is now the right time to buy?" I think one of the points that we have to address is that when you hit a situation like this in the world, that just the policy response that is going to happen from here on out makes me think that. Yes, you want good assets in your life. And I feel like so self-serving or selfish when I say that because obviously Nick and I own Rockstar Real Estate and it's like, oh my gosh, of course you guys are going to say yes. So just hear me out here for a little second. I want to share why I think it's still a good idea to buy income assets. So 
caveat number one to this is you must make sure your own family has enough money and income and backup emergency reserves to survive. So I'm not saying taking every last dollar and push it into assets. You know, you need, you need money for your own health and your own wealth and your own wisdom and taking care of your family and paying your bills. So I'm only saying if you can handle that for the foreseeable future and that aside, if that's handled, is it still a good time? And the reason I think it's still a good time is I believe that the policy response that we are seeing now with the amount of money that governments are putting into the system is going to devalue the currency in really aggressive ways over the next medium and long term. So if you can buy good properties, you still want to. And and some people kind of will challenge me a little bit on that. And I'll say like, well, Tom, I don't, I don't get it. What are you like? Why are you still saying it's now a good time? You know, the world is a little bit of a scary place. I'm just going to hold back. And when I hear people say they're going to hold back, now remember, I'm assuming that you are good financially, you can handle your bills for the next little while, however long is important to you, you have emergency cash and that whole bit. But after that is met, the reason I still think it's a good time to buy assets is because when I hear people say, I'm going to hold back and wait for things to kind of settle down, where I, what I believe is they are putting the value of their wealth in the currency. And what I mean by that is if let's say you have like $10,000 in your hand, you think that's the thing of value in your life. Whereas I think it's the other things that are valuable. And what I'm, when I say other things, I mean goods and services. And in this world, I would emphasize goods, like tangible hard assets are the things of value. When economists measure an economy, they don't measure the $10,000 in your hand. They measure the value of the goods and the services in the economy. That's the real things of value. Without goods and services, there's nothing of value in the economy. The, the money in your hand isn't the thing of value, it's the goods and services. So if I was to focus in on good income properties as a really good asset, like a hard tangible good, as a hard asset and income property, that's what I want to own in a time where the, I think the value of the currency in your hand is going to depreciate really quickly. And let me, let me, and when I say really quickly, I don't have a crystal ball. I mean, Nick and I have been talking about this for years. And like, what I mean is sometime over the next decade, I think the value of the currencies are going to fall r really greatly. And here's the analogy I use. Nick, am I allowed to use my Wayne Gretzky card analogy? Yeah, I like that uh, analogy. It's okay, good. Okay. I'm allowed. Okay. I'm happy that I'm allowed to use here. Here's the analogy that I, I've come up with for, for, for explaining this. Cause a number of people have asked this of, of me like, Tom, I still don't get it. Like, why are you talking about like buying income properties and assets in this kind of environment? And again, this is, this is kind of what makes sense to me. When I was in grade school, if you had like a Wayne Gretzky rookie card, you were king. Okay. You, if you had a Wayne king or queen, you, you know, you were the top of the pyramid. You had the Wayne Gretzky rookie card. And let's say when I was in grade school, I had a beautiful, awesome, brand new BMX bike. And in all of grade school, only one person had this awesome Wayne Gretzky rookie card. There was only one in the entire school and everybody cherished this Wayne Gretzky rookie card. And then I had this beautiful BMX bike and you came to me and you said, Hey Tom, you know what? I love that bike. You know what? I will take my Wayne Gretzky rookie card and I will give it to you in exchange for your BMX bike. And I, I, I would, I think, you know, in that environment, Nick, in grade school, I would probably like be like, hmm, man, a Wayne Gretzky rookie, like a Wayne Gretzky rookie. Well, they were, they were, worth, they were valuable. Yeah. Well, and there's only one and I've never seen another one. It's like precious. And this is a Friday. 
And I'm like, you know what? I think I don't want to commit to it. I, I think I'm really interested in this. On Monday, let's let's talk again and do the deal. Then Monday comes around. And on Monday, I didn't know this, but a whole bunch of kids in the school happened to go to Walter Gretzky's house in Brantford, Ontario. And Walter Gretzky, being the great guy he is, he gave everybody in, the, in that class that went to my school a Wayne Gretzky rookie card. And on Monday, when school kind of opened back up and I came to school... And I saw everybody at school, not only there wasn't just one Wayne Gretzky rookie card at school, Wayne Gretzky rookie card at school anymore. Now there was 31 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards at school. And instead of just one person waving the Wayne Gretzky rookie card uh, at me for my BMX bike, now I had 31 people waving the Wayne Gretzky rookie card saying, hey, I'll give you this card in exchange for your bike. What do you think I do in that environment? The price just went up. If now all of a sudden there's not just one Wayne Gretzky, there's multiple Wayne Gretzky rookie cards out there. Each Wayne Gretzky uh, rookie card is less valuable to me. So now I don't want one Wayne Gretzky rookie for my BMX bike. I might want them all, or I might want like at least half of them. Maybe I want 10. So what changed in that equation? Did my the value of my BMX bike change? No. The value of the Wayne Gretzky rookie cards changed. So in the economy, let me ask you something. If the BMX bike is my good income property, and the Wayne Gretzky rookie cards are the currency. What's about to change in value over the next three years, five years, and 10 years? To me, it's the currency. So why would you want to own or hold those things in your life? You want to exchange those things as fast as humanly possible for assets. I don't know anyone. I've never met a single person in my life who's owned good assets who said, you know what? That was a mistake. I really wish 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, five years ago, whatever it is, I didn't own that really good asset. I haven't really met that person. Everyone I've met usually says, I wish I bought that business. I wish I bought that income property. I wish I took action when I should have taken action. So that's where we're coming from. And that's where we see kind of, or how, what, how we hypothesize about the world yeah, going forward. And it sounds self-serving, like you mentioned, because we're totally you know, we self But it doesn't, I don't, you know, the, the, it doesn't have to apply to real estate. It can be anything else. We, you know, we like real estate because it, could be it makes art. it a good asset because of the same, the same principles. We prefer, I, well, one, I don't know much about art, but I get your point. I don't know anything but, about art. But <laughs> with real estate, there's a self-liquidating component to it because you can rent Which it out. Which is why we love it. Yeah, or, yeah. Right. You can also, if you choose to, you can leverage yourself at different levels, right? You can get financing up to 50%, 80%. Yeah, there's like all, all these other things are benefits that we're not discussing. I'm just but, talking about the, the asset itself. Yeah. But yeah. But if it's if there's anything else, but just so, you know, so because we have real estate, it can sound, sound self-serving, but we're not saying this about just real estate. Well, we're saying about any good assets. Yeah, business, right? a business. business. Yeah, yeah, that type of stuff. So so that's why, so we're I basically guess I'm just saying to you don't want to hold currency. You don't want your life to be de- being denominated in dollars at this point in time. You want to own things during a time like this. Especially now. Because I mean, lately, I mean, I don't know, how, I don't know the total number. I know in the US, it's, was the US? Six trillion, right? Six, is it six or seven, actually? It's almost seven trillion in, in new commitments. Yes, spending the yeah, yeah, six trillion, like two trillion into the economy, and then four yeah. trillion available for the banks for liquidity purposes. And then, yeah, now, and then that was not including what they had already pumped in since the fall, which maybe, was almost yeah, a trillion. Yeah, I think there was so something like, like seven that, trillion, right? maybe total. So, anyway, somewhere from six to seven. 
Canada's printing billions. They've, you know, Canada's Canada's launched into quantitative easing too. They're going to run run big deficits because of this, go into further debt. So all those, you know, all those principles are what what applies to this type of stuff, which is them creating more and more and more of Wayne, the Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky rookie, rookie cards. cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if anyone asks you about it, you just say, "Hey, look, it's about it's all about Wayne Gretzky yeah. rookie cards. We love Wayne Gretzky." And right now, but, but you know what? This is bad. This is this is actually bad because I actually like Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> and I'm using his name now in a bad example. Well, you can't even use Wayne Gretzky rookie cards now. You have to it's all electronic. No one wants cash, so you actually have to use digital Wayne Gretzky rookie cards. No, no, there's a big market for trading cards right now. Oh yeah, it's making a huge. Comeback. Well, no, I was talking about. Sorry, I was talking about not using cash because no one wants to take your cash in. And oh, that, that's digital. Whole, oh yeah, that's yeah, a whole yeah, other. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. a whole other story. Yeah, a which crypto Wayne Gretzky card. Yeah, something crypto, like that. Crypto yeah. Wayne Gretzky rookie. But uh, but there's something else that you know. If we're just to use real numbers, and aside from our little analogy with the rookie cards, is that if if you look at just go ahead. No, this was a, another question. I, I'll I'll ask it after because I, I thought about something earlier today. I want to ask you. Uh, go ahead. Okay, if you look at just the the U.S., um, how much money was put into the economy, and the reason we look at the U.S., even though we're here in Canada, is because whatever the U.S. does, Canada follows. Okay, so we look at them as the trendsetter to try to get an idea of what's happening here in Canada. And in the U.S. in 2008, their their national debt was around nine trillion. Today, it's about 23 trillion. Nick and I started tracking it back then, by the way, and so we watched it go all the way from nine trillion to 23 trillion. So that is about 100 and you know, close to 150% increase. So today it's at 23 trillion. So I want to ask everybody out there right now, if it's at $23 trillion today, and if last time they increased it by 150%, and it was the, a smaller, it was a smaller yeah. economic situation. Does that mean we're going in the U S from $23 trillion in debt to over 50 trillion dollars in debt? And, and maybe it'll happen faster because this happened in the last 10 years. Maybe because yeah. of the size, this is going to happen the next three or five years. Well, okay, but think about this though. So, so if they've already announced seven, right? So, so we're saying it's, yeah. let, let's say it's six. No, let's that's a good six. point. You're almost at thirty. You're bumping up to thirty already, and that's in yeah, the three. Yeah. Well, they announced seven, but that they, four of that was only going to be taken if required. So, yeah, but they announced it's yeah. available. So, yeah. so we're Which for is, sure in for two or three. Yeah. So but, far, but, I mean, last time when they things were required, I mean, banks yeah, it was all taken. They, they, I'm they sure it'll be taken. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and it's happened to announce that level of stimulus happened much faster than it did last time. So I don't know if it's going to go there or not, but in theory, we're 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 on pace for it to happen. You know what I mean? It's Fast, crazy. We're on pace to have it faster, and for it to actually happen, too. and for it to happen. So in that world, how? The value of the dollars out there, this this has the potential to be rather yeah. devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And if you ask anyone that's in um, like Venezuela, people that yeah, they Zim get Zimbabwe it. recently, yes. we, had, we, had, we had members, yeah. clients. Sergio we from Argentina. With. I'm Argentina. sure he understands what's going on very well. Yeah. And, and, and not long ago that when Zimbabwe went through that hyperinflationary episode, we had people who had, had family there or who were there who recently came over. I mean, you know, this this happens and I'm, you know, it might not happen to that ex exact level, but the same principles are in place. Well, the value of a Western currency in North America, like a U.S. dollar, Canadian dollar being destroyed to this level, isn't there's no real precedent for it. Right, especially with the U.S. dollar being the the reserve currency of the world. I don't know if they can do it, like let it happen that fast at that pace, because 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 of the reserve currency of the world. Because I think there'll be too much. They'll, they'll have to step in with alternate alternative. I think the step in with the alternative solutions is what destroys the currency. 
because I think the IMF will come in yeah. and say, hey, hold on a second yeah. here. The U.S. is broke. We're going to give some and of our magical like, SDRs. everyone just dumps it. Everybody, yeah. well, everybody just dumps it or they just print it to whatever oblivious, uh, oblivion in amount. Can I say oblivion amount that they need? You can say but, whatever you want. I don't judge. But, uh, but yeah, we'll talk okay. a lot about this going forward. This okay. is exciting Here, stuff. This is, this is real time shit. <laughs> this is the big deal. So, well, you know what? It was all theory before. Now it's happening. I know. Because right? we were talking about it for you know a little while, yeah. a long while and yeah. it's kind of happening. But um, this is the thought I had. So this is what I want to come back to. But, and this is just kind of like a random question, but it kind of has something to do with this. Maybe not really. Um, the So this whole cash thing, right? So you can't pay with cash in so many places, but the law stipulates that you do. And I don't think anywhere they've changed that law. Like you can't, you, you're... Oh, you're saying you can't deny cash? Yeah. Yeah, but is anyone going to fight at a Tim no, Hortons drive through I know, but it's just... And the reason why this interests me, right? Because I'm like, man, all the... Um, like, I think there's a benefit to, if we look at the potential for negative rates and this type of thing, there's a potential of people not using cash, right? Like from, from like a larger scale, people are like, well, it gives the government's more insight and more kind of oversight into everyone's finances. So I'm like, man, it's like a natural kind of, uh, opportunity for them to kind of oh, totally. try to squeeze that out further and further and it's happening and people are getting used to because of because of what's going on I'm sure a lot of the stimulus cash. all of these benefit programs I'm sure the money is going to be electronically oh yeah because of speed and everything else so yeah. people yeah I know but there's just way more oversight that way as well but uh, but yeah it was just it was just this random thought that I had I'm like huh that's actually by law and I know no one's going to fight it but I'm like I don't actually think they've changed that law so people would have to you know. no and we have I mean we were talking about this with rock star members over the last week we know some rock star inner circle members who have gone to the bank and had their uh, business bank account limits reduced to the amount of cash they can take out in any, in any one day so you can see just like little little tightening of the screws where cash is being used you know it's not used at the Tim Hortons drive through you don't think too much of it then the bank says you can take out less it's not you don't think too much of it and then before you know it it's just totally locked down and everything's electronic right um, it'll be interesting can you imagine it ever gets to the point holy smokes can you imagine it ever gets to the point where it's like hey if you have any cash bills out there you have to come to the bank and deposit it that'll be freaky Things that will be freaky yeah but when it's electronically like that they get to turn off the t- turn on and off the tap at will and I know again this seems crazy stuff but if you look like what happened not too long ago in uh, in Greece and I forget the number I asked you the year and yeah I, it was know, someone forgot. actually commented back to us it was oh, way back they, like 2011 was it that yeah. far back and um, when they they shut down banks, yeah, and ATMs, they, yeah, and ATMs, uh, did they full out shut them down for a couple? No, they days? would just go like empty, and they yeah. wouldn't refill. And then they re- but they reduce the limit of yeah. how much you could take down. Like they they just turn off the taps, mm-hmm. you know, and it gets you know it gives it gives up a lot of control. There's even actually an international monetary fund white paper that was published about two years ago. I don't have it in front of me, so I, I can't re- you know read it out verbatim what it said. But basically, they had a plan for how to get people to put their cash back in the banks by having a negative rate on deposits, meaning that your cash deposit is worth like a hundred dollars if you deposit it this month is worth $100. But if you deposit the $100 in a month, it's worth like $99.50. And then in two months, it's worth $99. So they had this like negative kind of rate that was applied to cash versus digital currency as a way to kind of get you to take your cash and almost make it look like a good thing. Because then if you deposited it in the bank, you were getting your like full hundred dollars. Yeah. And if you kept it out of the bank, it was kind of a negative. I remember that. And yeah, I, I was like, that's a very brilliant way to do yeah. it because it all of a sudden it makes it seem like, yeah, it's, it's a good yeah. idea to get it in the bank. Otherwise I'm going to lose the value of it. I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, these guys have thought of everything. Yeah. And what's crazy 
crazy is they think about it and document it out They've, there. The, well, it's, the, white pa- the interesting thing, if you like this kind of stuff, if you look at the white papers on the Interna- International uh, Monetary Fund's website, the IMF's website, it's almost like you can predict some of the things that they might put in place in the future because they put out these white papers on like, here's the framework for yeah. how a negative interest rate world would work. And it's like you read these things two, three years ago and now you can kind of see, oh my gosh, I could see them actually pulling the trigger on some of this stuff and implementing it. It's totally fascinating. So... Uh, Anyway, I don't know. In all of that, I think I was trying to get us to answer is now a good time to buy income properties. I think somewhere there, someone's uh, either made a decision that it's a good good or, or bad. They're or like good this, or, ba- this, this or bad or horrible time. One thing I can tell you um, on a kind of very serious note is we have analyzed rents um, ever since you know there was that U.S. Uh, financial crisis. And rents during times like this um, do seem to plateau and then continue to go up. And we do have friends in the U.S. who saw this. Um, and what they saw were, was that um, the, the, the quality of their tenants actually increased through a deep real estate correction because part of the reason there was a deep real estate correction is people could not get properties because access to credit was denied, but these families still needed a place to live. So actually the the demand from tenants was stronger and the, some of the quality of the tenants that they were getting at their front doors for some of their properties actually increased during that time. That always stuck like kind of kind of yeah. stuck in my mind and then it wasn't until years later we saw the data now we see the data but that, but and we that, can but that's totally i mean yes you're right and it, it applies now too but that was a totally different environment too because remember that was people, a credit freeze yeah well, well no i'm not even talking about that like i'm talking about there was big price corrections which which were not got it yeah, like, yeah, yeah i mean yeah. they maybe they happened down the line but i mean at, at this point they're nowhere near kind of anything like that but we had price corrections of 50 percent and yeah, rents yeah plateauing at that time right so we're not even kind of we're not seeing any of that stuff here but to the question because the next follow-up question to that is that people ask they're like well in today's environment right how can people pay the rents if they don't have the money so if they don't have the jobs or the income levels have changed now how can people pay toronto rents or elsewhere and and we've looked into that data too and what we see is maybe even an increasing in trends of what we've seen with people going out to cheaper areas. But that's one possibility. So someone that's renting in Toronto for twenty five hundred bucks a month, maybe they can no longer afford the twenty five hundred bucks a month. They rent the same type of space outside of Toronto someplace for two thousand a month or whatever whatever price. And the other thing that we've seen, according to different uh, different sources, was that what happens is people take they change their spending habits. And they'll start cut, cutting back, and I would have to. Put yeah, you the, used to have, used to have the data on the discretionary yeah, spending. I got to track it down again, but the discretionary spending changes, and entertainment drops, and you know what drops to food costs. Yeah. Food costs. So people sub start supplementing, you know, and, and well, I can even look at look in the last little yeah. steaks versus hamburgers. Yeah, you know, burgers hamburger, to hot dogs. Hamburger meat, burgers to and even yeah, they go from burgers to hot dogs. What whatever they they got to do. So even so that changes. And uh, there was one other segment, so I got to look that up. But but the Wasn't discretion like move, for some reason I remember movies entertainment. or entertainment. Yeah, entertainment was yeah. one. Yeah, that was that one. And f- what, I was surprised by the food one. And my, you know what? I think it was clothing as well. I think it was broken down to clothing too. Oh yeah, I think it was clothing. Yeah, I'm sure and I wonder clothing. if entertainment changes a little bit because now of Netflix, everyone's on their Netflix and maybe those things don't get, because yeah. uh, I think before entertainment was probably more like theater costs and yeah. you know movie co- going out to the movies and that kind of thing. Netflix ruined the dating game though. I mean, do you remember like you could actually have a date with someone which was like, hey, you want to come over and rent a movie? Which was like, I don't know, code language when you were in high school or college for like, hey, you want to come come over and fool around? And you could, you would make a night of it because you would go to the, the video yeah, store and rent the and movie. You would, like, 
you would you know spend the time together picking a yeah. movie and you get some popcorn yeah. and that was like the whole was, outing then you'd go it was good yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now it's like i oh, just turn do you it remember on some of those some of those video stores were really kind of crummy for a little oh, while yeah. do you remember oh yeah like they were kind of like beat down well, inside like the and whole... then there was always the porn area in the back that oh, had yeah. like the little, the little curtain, curtain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the little yeah. curtain. i remember when i was a kid <laughs> and we were, we were back like who's back there yeah We'd be like renting a video game. I remember with like our neighbors. I'd be down. Oh yeah, the video games were rented too. Yeah, Yeah, so we'd like rent video games, and some guy would walk over there. We'd be like, "Oh my god, look, he just bought a porn area." So I remember those video stores. Oh my god, I remember when I worked at the convenience store when I was like thirteen, and I didn't put me behind the cash right away. But soon enough, I was behind the cash, and some guys would like buy porn magazines but I guess if I was at the cash they knew not to come to me for whatever reason and kind of the owner would come out because he knew the person and then they would put the 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 you know the the porn magazines in like a brown paper bag and kind of slip it back to the guy so I guess he could walk out of the store oh, really? without, yeah yeah I totally Jeez. remember that I remember even then I think oh this is kind of weird Jeez, man. but uh how'd you start talking about porn what's going on I don't know, you brought up video stores. <laughs> those video stores. Some of those video stores were fun though because you used to look through them for hours. And I remember when new releases first came out and they way back there would be like one copy. So you yeah. can never get yeah, it. And yeah. then the video stores finally Start caught it on. And they're like, we have them. 80 copies of the new you release. You would put stuff on hold. You would get fined like 50 cents yeah. for not rewinding for new re- or yeah. yeah, that's right. For not rewinding. And if it was a new release and you didn't bring it back, the fine was like $5 yeah. a day or something. You're like, holy crap. Man, I would go down with Jay. I'll never forget. He had late charges at all times. Like I, I, we never like really returned stuff late. You know what I mean? He like, yeah, oh, yeah. He's yeah. like, hey, I can't get it out of my account. Like, we, 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 we have too many late charges. Can you get it on yours? Like, it was just, hey, but, something I wanted to go back onto serious note to go from video source to strategic mortgage defaults. I just want to talk about something here. Back in 2008 and 2009, there was this concept in the States as the uh, financial crisis developed there. We know people who were doing what we call strategic defaults, meaning that they knew the banks were overwhelmed with foreclosures. So they stopped paying their mortgage for a couple of years, basically living mortgage free. And they knew that they weren't going to be foreclosed closed out of their property for like two years. So they were able to save like two years of payments and then they were ultimately foreclosed. And the reason this is stuck in my, stuck? This is the reason this is stuck in my mind. The reason this is stuck in my mind is, is this. When I see how great the banks have been in this country doing mortgage deferrals over the last couple of weeks, because Nick, let's face it, did you ever think the banks would be so open to being like, you call us, you basically have to have no proof if you need a mortgage deferral where you're deferring your mortgage. Like well, I never thought. Not I'm, just open, the, the, the speed at which the implement of the change. Totally. Is, yeah. And, and now you don't even have to call. You can just go online and fill out Now there's online. Some, some of the yeah. branches now are able to yeah. do it and stuff like that. So. The fact that they've reacted so quickly to, quickly to that, now I can't even speak quickly to that, makes me think that they've learned from their U.S. counterparts because they do not want a whole swath of their mortgages going underwater because the banks are not prepared to foreclose or, or in Ontario it's called power of sales process to power of sale properties out the door. So they want their mortgage book to look really good. So to them, it's in their best interest to automatically defer defer mortgage payments. You're tacking the interest on later anyway, so they lose no more money. And the banks look like their books are perfect because no mortgages are in arrears because you've deferred the payments and they've approved it. So the books right now on the banks look good. So I'm like, this is actually kind of brilliant. They've learned what they've saw, or I'm, I'm just guessing, obviously, but I'm thinking they've learned a lot from their U.S. experience. And up here, they were basically ready to do this mortgage deferral at the drop of a hat, and they did it. And I'm just thinking it's part part of the reason is they didn't want this whole swath of mortgage defaults on on uh, on their books. So they've kind of come out and done this whole thing really yeah. much faster than I, totally. I anticipated. And they structured it in such a way that it's a So yes, 100%. And it's helping people. So there's that. It and, looks good. It's great and, PR. And, and they're a, not losing any money. And it's a, well, it's not just not losing it. They're a profit they're making, center. Yeah. It's, it's interest on interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, they've just created another income stream out of nowhere. Out of because nowhere. interest on interest. On interest. Right. That's actually brilliant. Yeah. Once again, I have to applaud the banks. Yeah, yeah, no, the banks, they don't they lose. They win. Yeah, yeah. They not, win. Not worried about them losing. <laughs> so uh, that's most of the stuff that I wanted to... And there's tons more, Nick, to talk about. We should with, p- maybe we'll do a follow-up on relatively soon around those other points that we can kind of get out on. A, yeah, because there's recession stuff order. and there's tenant stuff to talk about, landlord-tenant stuff, and there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. So we'll, we'll put out some more of these... Um, I think for now, we've got anything else? No, no, I think that's it for now. Okay, we'll end it there. Thanks, everyone. Hey, everyone. So it's Tom Kradza. If there's anything you would like us to discuss in the future, you can send an email into podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com or find Rockstar Real Estate out on Facebook and comment to us. I think it's our handle on on, um, Facebook is Rockstar Inner Circle, actually. And on Instagram, it's Rockstar Inner Circle. So on Instagram, you can send us a message. On Facebook, you can send us a message. Feed us in your uh, questions. And you can actually request uh, or send information to us through rockstarinnercircle.com. There's a contact form on there. So there's multiple ways to make requests for different topics that you would like covered. We'll do our best to cover everything that comes to mind that we think we uh, could be of use and of some value. Thanks for listening. And just, you know, like we said at the beginning of this episode, just take care of yourselves. We wish everybody the best and uh, we will talk to you soon. We will still end off with living your life on your terms. So until next time, your life, your terms.